0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, and he is my trusted colleague, Wes Hodkiewicz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field, and we know there is news out there about uh, the Packers' new defensive coordinator, but uh, because Mike McCarthy and the Packers organization has not made the hire official yet, uh, we will wait until that happens before we discuss the particulars. So we're going to continue on this show today with our discussion of new GM, Brian Gutekunst and, um, Wes, it's an interesting situation in that he's the new GM of the Packers. He's replacing the guy who is his mentor really in Ted Thompson and Ted Thompson is remaining on the Packers staff in a senior advisory role. In fact, has been out scouting this week for, based (laughs) on some pictures that we've seen, uh, forever a scout for sure. But, uh, but a really neat situation, really, for uh, for Guttekunst and uh, and to to get things started and and have somebody that uh, that he learned so much from, you know, still right there anytime he needs
1: him. Yeah, and it was funny too. He mentioned on Monday uh, when he had, was talking with some of the reporters in a side session that before, you know, he talked with Ted throughout this process every day. He said he talked to him during the interview process and. Before he went up to the podium to be introduced in front of his family, in front of the media, uh, Ted actually gave him a little bit of advice saying, make sure you smile. Uh, because, you know, that's one thing, if I could go back to 2005, I wish I would have smiled more. And and to Ted's credit, he has a great deadpan sense of humor. Right. Uh, if you do go back to look at that photo gallery of 2005, Ted didn't smile a lot. So <laughs> I, I think he, there was some self-awareness there involved. But uh, as you said, I think this is such a unique opportunity for Gutekunst because... Ted is a scout first and foremost. We've heard this for years. I think he'd been telling media this going back to the Super Bowl uh, in the aftermath of that, that once he's done as GM, he'd like to be an area scout. He'd like to be, you know, just be able to travel a little bit, continue doing what he loves. And this new arrangement allows him to do that and from Gudekun's perspective, yes, he was hired during the Ron Wolf era, had two great years with Wolf, um, and then spent some time, obviously, when Mike Sherman was the GM here uh, in his personnel department. But a bulk of his 19 years with the Packers organization was spent with Ted Thompson. Yeah. And he talked a lot about being able to learn from him, both not only just with the transactions and that's nature, but just what it's like and, and what you have to do to be a successful GM sitting in that chair.
0: Yeah. And as we all know, Every GM is going to have that moment, that decision they have to make that maybe they don't even know it at the time. Sometimes they do, but it'll be a decision that comes to define their tenure as a general manager. And we all know with Ted Thompson, it was what he went through in 2008, making that transition from Brett Favre, Hall of Fame quarterback, to Aaron Rodgers, who we now know is a future Hall of Fame quarterback. Ted Thompson you know, believed that was the right move, even though it was highly unpopular with many fans. He stuck to his guns, so to speak. So did Mike McCarthy. They did this together, and at the time, even though Gudekunst was a scout, uh, really mostly out on the road, yeah. uh, you know, not necessarily in the building full time, which. Uh, He started um, in that type of position a handful of years ago in more of the director roles where he's not out on the road as much. But at that time, he was an area scout, but he was watching very closely how Ted Thompson navigated that situation, and, uh, and he had some words about that as well.
1: That, I think, is what taught him the most about what it means to be a GM. You can draft. You can scout. You can feel like you know everything that's going on in the NFL, but there's always that that move where you're going to have to push all in, it seems like, and really risk it all. Ted Thompson did that. And to be honest with you, Ted Thompson did that with a lot of class uh, in, in the fact that he was trying to do the right thing. And as Gutekunst said, there were so many times you know, sitting down and talking with him, Ted reiterated over and over again, I'm just trying to do the right thing. In an inenviable position for him to be in, because let's be honest, Mike, with the way that the NFL structured, a lot of guys don't get to go out on their own terms. Injuries happen, different scenarios play out. In Favre's situation was so unique, yep. categorically, you know, almost an anomaly. In that, you know, for a number of years, he talked about retirement, he hinted at retirement, and then this ended up being a guy that played until he was forty. Ted Thompson, when he got here in 2005, you've heard all the things out there about you know, that draft and, and that Aaron Rodgers was the only guy left with a first-round grade that year. He trusted his eyes to take him, even yeah. when that might not have been the guy that was going to help them the most right away, and then to stand by him in 2008. Uh, I always kind of go back to that, you know, you have to have a touch of madness, like the old Mad Hatter reference, in that you have to be willing to wager it all. Ron Wolf did it. Imagine in 2018 if Ron Wolf would have traded a first round pick for Brett Favre after he had two picks and was a second rounder a year before. Yeah. You know, and, and had been t- nothing
0: but a backup. I mean, exactly. Hadn't, hadn't basically hadn't played at all.
1: Exactly. And, and you have to be able to do that. And seeing the way that Thompson handled that situation, I think, is what taught Gudekunst a lot.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. With that, we're going to th- toss it to a break. Back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford in this chair, Wes Hodkowitz in that one. And Wes, it's worth mentioning here when we talk about the history and where some of these guys come from as they as they make their way along. Um, Brian Gutekunst now is the sixth general manager from the Ron Wolf tree. So I don't know, do you call it branches or limbs or, or however you, How you look at it, however you characterize it? But six guys, half a dozen from. Uh, from that uh, that that Ron Wolf tree, that's impressive.
1: It's remarkable. It really is, and the fact that you and I, before we started this segment, we're just trying to name all the people. Yeah, make sure we don't Doing forget anybody off the top of our heads. Is really tell you every tells you everything you need to know about Wolf. And Gudekunst even said, I mean, the way that they break down players still to this day, the way they scout college players is still rooted in the principles of Ron Wolf, and I think the thing that's interesting about Gutekunst is he's sort of a product of all of the guys, all six of those guys that have become GMs. You go back to 1997, he was looking to become a coach, was his original thought process, and I think he said he was working, it was like a country club he was working at. It was 11 p.m., there was a wedding reception going on. John Dorsey from the Green Bay Packers calls him, and basically asked, can you be here in a week to be a scouting intern for us? (laughs) Because what happened, as he tells the story, it's his assertion that Dorsey actually wanted a different one of his lacrosse teammates, but that guy had just gone another way in his life, and that he was the backup, and that Dorsey and Reggie McKenzie, who went on to become the GM of the Raiders, were actually trying to, basically it was like this little bit of a rat race for these guys in the personnel department of Wolf to find, Scouts to find, you know, developmental prospects because Ron Wolf was worried after the Super Bowl that they were going to be losing guys. Scouts, scouting, scouts. Scouts, scouting, scouts. <laughs> so, you know, he spends that year as an intern. Then John Schneider, who ended up being a Packers personal executive for a number of years, also another uh, disciple from Wolf, he's in Kansas City takes Gutekunst with him to Kansas City. After a year there, he comes back as a full-time college scout under Wolf. You know, and he mentioned, I think we talked about this in yesterday's show, you know, Scott McLuhan, who ends up becoming the GM of of Washington, he ends up having a really tight relationship with him. When guys were scared to go to Wolf with a question or something, they went to McLuhan, worked under Dorsey, worked with McKenzie. All these different guys have had an impact on obviously Gutekunst with the first one probably the one that had the biggest one being Ted Thompson so it's very interesting to see his path and when you're in an organization for 20 years now um, all the different people that you've interacted with along the way
0: yeah and you see the uh you you see the contacts the, the way the 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 tree continues to branch out and grow and we saw it with uh the recent introduction of John Gruden as yes. the uh, as the head coach again. I was going to say new head coach, but he's sort of the head coach again with uh, the Oakland, soon-to-be Las Vegas Raiders. And Reggie McKenzie is the general manager there. And, you know, John Gruden was a an assistant coach riding a bicycle to work in green Bay in 1999. I think even in the winter time, he talked about bringing his, bringing his bike to Lambeau field to get to work. And, you know, it all, all, so much of this traces, traces back to Ron Wolf and, and Ron Wolf obviously has uh, roots with the Raiders as well. There's history there. So um, really it's hard to get your brain around it completely, but you just have to sit back and respect and appreciate uh, how much influence over the NFL as a whole that a guy like Ron Wolf, who deservedly now is in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, how much influence he has had.
1: Yeah, and it's one thing to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It was probably another thing for him to be the first among those cat contributors uh, to, to make it in underneath that category. Right, the new
0: category, yeah. He
1: not only has a substantial footprint in the NFL, it's a footprint that's incredibly deep as well. And I thought that said a lot. Gruden gets introduced... On Tuesday, as the new head coach of the Raiders, McKenzie sitting next to him. And Gruden even made the comment about, you know, we're just a couple, you know, we were just a couple young Green Bay Packers way back when coming up in that system, learning from Mike Holmgren, learning from Ron Wolf. And to see the impact that that has now today, Sean Harrock, who was a personnel executive for the Packers a number of years, he's with McKenzie, certainly Alonzo Highsmith, Elliott Wolf. It's not even just the GMs. It's the guys that are running personnel departments, the guys that are high-ranking executives in the league that all come from his path. And another thing, too, Mike, these GMs, they've had success. McKenzie took the Raiders from a bottom dweller, from a laughingstock, from being in cap jail, to making them a contender, a 12-win team a year ago that's now looking to try to continue that, you know, consistency. Dorsey revamps Kansas City. Now he's Complete, trying to do completely, that completely
0: rebuilt them, you know, much like McKenzie in Oakland, rebuilt a roster and got them back to the playoffs yeah. much sooner than anybody thought could happen.
1: Exactly. And then John Schneider, I think the job he's done in Seattle you know, one of the most uh, heralded GMs in the league right now. The guy had, he went to Seattle, had some phenomenal drafts those first three, four years that set them up yep. for this this run they've been on. All of that, everybody has their own philosophy. I'm not going to say they're all just carbon copies of each other, but all of them going back to the things that they learned from Ron Wolf. I think that was the number one thing I took away from this whole process the last week, is seeing what his impact has been on the entire National Football League and the Green Bay Packers, Mark Murphy, appreciating that and understanding that having someone steeped in those principles like Brian Gutekunst was the right way for this organization to go.
0: Yeah, when you look at where it all started with Ron Wolf with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 0-14, I yeah. believe, in 1976, I, that was uh, the season that sprouted the uh, the great... John McKay quote as a head coach, and he was asked after one of the buccaneers' losses, "What did you think of your team's execution today and his answer was i'd be in favor of it <laughs> um, but that's that's the team that Ron Wolf started with, and he's always been very self deprecating about the fact yeah. that especially when he was going into the Hall of Fame that he's like hey i didn't win everywhere I went you know you, you take some lumps along the way in this business, but the one thing about Ron Wolf, and I think you see it. In every one of these other GMs that have come along and perhaps future ones like Elliot Wolf and Alonzo Highsmith, who probably will get there someday as well, they have the courage of their convictions because Ron Wolf had the courage to pull the trigger on the Brett Favre trade that completely changed a franchise around. And these guys that have, that have learned under him. Grown up under him and under Ted Thompson, they have the courage of their convictions as well.
1: You cannot waver. You cannot waffle. You have to have confidence in your ability. And also I'll point out, too, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers gave up on Ron Wolf a little too early. While <laughs> they think? did not win <laughs> while he was there... He set them up for making a run the year after he left. Right. And I think that says a lot about the team that he built. Right. The
0: late 70s, they reached the NFC Championship game, a, a team that nobody thought, nobody Doesn't gave them a lot of chance to for do that.
1: Part of it. yeah. And it's certainly uh, something I think that adds to his legacy.
0: Yeah, no question about it. With that, we'll toss it to a break. Back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford here, Wes Hodkiewicz over there. And Wes, a little bit of news with regards to the Pro Bowl because Packers defensive tackle Mike Daniels has been named to the Pro Bowl team. Uh, We kind of knew this was going to happen. He is a first alternate. All it takes is one guy to step aside. In this case, it was Los Angeles Rams defensive lineman Aaron Donald who, following the Rams' loss to the Falcons, has backed out of the Pro Bowl due to an injury. What I'll say about this is... It's overdue for Mike Daniels, but this is how the Pro Bowl works. It was overdue for Josh Sitton when he finally got there. Excuse me. It was overdue for TJ Lang. It was overdue for David Bakhtiari. This is just kind of how it goes. Hats off to Mike Daniels. He's earned it. And uh, I hope he has a good time at the uh, at all the festivities.
1: Yeah, and here's the thing that's interesting about this whole process. It was the third consecutive year he was an alternate. This is the first year he was a first alternate, which, as you said, pretty much puts you on the doorstep because between injuries and teams going to the Super Bowl, there's a better than average chance, especially at that position, a contact position, that you're going to end up being able to go. Definitely didn't take it for granted, though. Um, you know, I know he was disappointed not to be voted in upon first balloting. But I thought it said a lot about the fact that the league is starting to catch on a little bit more about what he's all about. Um, Aaron Donald is just an amazing physical specimen, and for him to have... The success he's had at that position, I think, says a lot about him. Yeah. Not gonna mince words, I think if he can play for another ten years, he's a pro football hall of famer. He's on that trajectory right yeah. now. Yep. But for a lot of defensive tackles, it's tough to get those kind of accolades because the sack numbers aren't always there. You don't always get the fanciest statistics. It's just it's just not something that routinely happens. But the fact that Daniels now, I think we were talking about this at the end of the season is I wanna say it's three and a half sacks shy of what is the franchise record for sacks by a nose tackle, which I believe is held by Colin Jenkins. Okay. I think Daniels is at 26. Colin Jenkins was 29.5. The fact that he's that close to that now, um, I think says a lot about him, his consistency. He's had at least four sacks basically every year since 2013. I think he set uh, another record for himself as far as tackles. Incredibly consistent, well-rounded football player, and now is finally getting a chance to go show himself on the uh, you know Pro Bowl level.
0: Yeah, and you wonder if... He might have actually gotten in, gotten to the Pro Bowl through the initial process if it hadn't been for that injury in yeah. week two against Atlanta, because he started the season like gangbusters against Seattle. That game here at Lambeau Field in week one, he was dominant. It's the best game he of his career, was, in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree. He was absolutely dominant against Seattle's offensive line. Whoever they used to try to block him, it didn't matter. And that game was nationally televised, or you know, the late afternoon. You know, most of the country watched that game. But then the following week, he gets injured. Um, he and he did come back fairly quickly from the injury, but you know, a guy is not necessarily going to be a hundred percent. It's still right. going to take a little while. And then we really didn't see the the full scope of that Mike Daniels Kenny Clark tandem in the middle of the Packers' defensive line until the stretch run late in the year when all the attention obviously was on Aaron Rodgers coming back and are the Packers going to hang in the playoff race and all of that kind of stuff. So some circumstances there unfortunately uh you know led to him being an alternate but certainly glad that that he's going to get the opportunity and you know a guy like Daniels you know he's going to go down there and have some fun. He's going to you know he's he's going to chat it up with all the other guys down there and and, and take it all in. I'm sure he's going to make the most of it.
1: I'm just really interested. You know they always say that thing about like people playing at half speed in the pro bowl. <laughs> I mean, yeah. dude, I have to imagine he's going to tick some people off. I can't he see Mike Daniels is. playing at half speed, and somebody, whoever it's not that his coach style. I don't know who that coaching staff is yet. I don't know if they've if they've, we've gotten that far, but in the process, but they're probably going to have to remind Daniels that you can't hit the quarterback in the Pro Bowl. So <laughs> I, I think that's one thing to kind of keep an eye on, but certainly a, a good uh, honor for him and an, and an opportunity to not only have to go to this Pro Bowl, but this is what sets you up now. If you can keep playing at a high level to get voted in on first balloting next
0: year right the recognition continues to come but before we go to a break attention Packers fans we're calling you to fill up with Campbell's chunky chicken noodle soup we're talking delicious hearty soup packaged in an exclusive Packers super fan can these cans are limited edition for all you football fanatics out there so don't miss out go on huddle up and fill up with this hearty soup chunky soup the official soup partner of the Green Bay Packers back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford alongside Wes Hodkowitz. And Wes, before we go, I want to get back to uh, where we ended yesterday's show, and that's with regards to that Saints-Panthers wildcard game. I know I asked you about the intentional grounding call at the end there on Cam Newton, but really the end of that game had so much going on. You, ha- I mean, the Panthers are down 12. They get the big play to Christian McCaffrey for a touchdown, so they get within five. And then the New Orleans Saints have fourth and two at midfield, the Panthers have no timeouts left. They decide to go for it. They don't get it. But then the Panthers in the secondary, Mike Adams, I believe it is, intercepts the ball instead of just knocking it down. He costs his team 20 yards of field position, so they have it at the 30 instead of at the 50. And then the intentional grounding call when they get inside, I think, to the 25-yard line or so, the intentional grounding call completely ruins Carolina's chance at uh, at the game-winning drive. Really an amazing finish to to the game. I don't know where you want to start with all that, but I'm just curious your thoughts on how that thing wrapped up. You
1: know, and it's so weird to me because it's like I, I'm not an NFL player. I obviously have not really been athletic enough to even make a high school football team. But the, the Adams, <laughs> so is it just – can you just not get yourself – To not catch that ball. Yeah,
0: I don't know. Like, Um, it's, it's just it's just a mental it's just a mental thing where you're you're as a safety you're just you're always naturally trying to intercept the ball and and you just you just don't think about the fact that it's fourth down
1: and it's not the regular season so I like okay I get that sometimes it's like you want to pad your stats out a little bit yeah I respect that. Nobody cares what the stats are in the postseason. I mean, we'll bring them up every once in a while, but nobody could tell you how many interceptions the Packers have had in the postseason since 2010 or anything like that. So it was a very odd play. And I thought, to be honest with you, I thought that zapped a lot of momentum from Carolina in what could have been a really big momentum-turning play uh, for the Saints to get that aggressive and then to to basically have it blow up in their face and then the Panthers sort of give it back to them a little bit almost like a botched punt in a way. Yeah,
0: Yeah. I was just stunned. I was stunned that Sean Payton decided to go for it on fourth and two there. The Panthers have no timeouts. You can punt them back, presumably to the 10-yard line, maybe even better. They need a touchdown. They have to go the length of the field. This is the same head coach who started a second half of a Super Bowl with an onside kick, so I get that. He's as aggressive and perhaps maybe as unorthodox in some of those decisions as they come, but Boy, oh boy! The, the book says ninety nine point nine percent of the time you punt the football there yeah. and trust your defense. This is the best defense the Saints have had for however long, and he acted like he didn't trust them. Yeah. I, I just I didn't understand that.
1: It was weird. It was a weird game, and then obviously you saw the fallout for the Panthers here with all the reports of you know uh, Shula being out and the changes that they're making with yeah. the offensive coaching staff. Yeah, um, it was. It, I think it was a a. Really, it's a game where both teams sort of turned a corner. I think, you know, obviously the Carolina Panthers have made a big commitment to Ron Rivera now for another two years, um, but he's trying to reorganize his staff. The Saints, I think it's a really good learning experience for them because they do need to learn how to trust that defense. Uh, this is a game against the Minnesota Vikings you can't take for granted.
0: Yeah, that Saints-Vikings game coming up this weekend will be a big one, and we'll uh, we'll talk as the week wraps up uh, looking yeah. ahead to some of those divisional round games. But with that, we'll call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. On Twitter, he's at Wes Hodd. I'm at Mike Spofford at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next
1: time.